Is marijuana considered medical marijuana if you believe laughter is the best medicine? Is it crazy that there's a giant thing in the sky all the time that we're not supposed to look at? And why do we never wash our belts? They're the first thing we touch after wiping our ass. <laughs> all these questions and more on the Abnormal Matters Podcast. <laughs> You do always have to throw a poop one in there. I mean, throw a poop one in yeah, there. yeah, yeah. That's always like a conversation at the dinner table, right? Like we're eating, and then just out of nowhere, we go to poop. <laughs> the other day at work, Adrian was like, um, "God, somebody blew up the bathroom," and I go, "Do you know?" That when you smell it, it's because there's poop particles in your nose. And she was like, "I did not need you to tell me that. Like I ruined her entire day over poop. It is <laughs> and particles." You don't want it. Well, uh, Mythbusters, remember them? Yes. They did uh, the particle test on a toothbrush. Yeah. You don't want to know. No, I know. That's who you remind me of when you wear your little tiny glasses. Oh, the one guy on there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I forget their names. But I yeah, know. I know who you're talking about. Yes. Well, guys, welcome back to the Abnormal Matters podcast, where we are looking into the odd and strange. And this is episode 35, should have been episode 36, but my computer is dumb. And the episode that we had recorded was corrupt on the file system. So it was such a good episode, though. We're going to put, yeah, we'll we'll definitely circle back around to that one. Uh, It's going to be on the on the back burner for right now. But before we get into our episode, we always have our. News of the week, and Miss Rachel had that one. Go right ahead. Yep. So, oh, I found this one like two weeks ago. Um, FBI confirms Zodiac Killer's infamous 340 cipher has been decoded and his message finally received. Um, the FBI confirmed that a group of code breakers have managed to crack the infamous 340 cipher used by the Zodiac Killer over 50 years ago. In the late 60s, heading into the early 70s, serial killer going by the name or the pseudonym Zodiac murdered at least five people in California. During the spree, the killer sent tossing, taunting messages to the press written through Cypher, where letters are substituted for different letters or numbers, or in the case of the Zodiac killer, a series of symbols. I'm not going to go into what a 340 Cypher is, because it's basically a code right mm-hmm. so um the first one was deciphered in 1969 and then for 50 years they couldn't figure out it like the best code breakers were on the case so like even guys with background in the army trying to, to decipher different things in war right they still couldn't figure it out right so there was just Oh, crap. There was just a random team of people. It was uh, private citizens, basically. And the new code that they finally deciphered reads, I hope you are having lots of fun and trying to catch me. That wasn't me on the TV show, which brings up a point about me. I'm not afraid of the gas chamber because it will send me to paradise all the sooner. Because I now have enough slaves to work for me. Where everyone else has nothing when they reach paradise, so they are afraid of death. I am not afraid because I know that my new life is, life will be an easy one in paradise, death. Which is like the last part is kind of, um, doesn't make a lot of sense. But anyway, one of the people that, help decode it said that one of the things that stood out was the line that wasn't me on the TV show. Um, at this point I jumped out of my chair because I knew the cipher was received on November 8th, 1969, which is about two weeks after someone calling themselves the Zodiac called into a talk show hosted by Jim Dunbar. And while the caller was on the air, he said, I need help. I'm sick. I don't want to go to the gas chamber. So, um, they were pretty confident then at that point that not only was this one from the Zodiac killer, but they had, they did finally achieve cracking the code. Yeah. Cracking the code. Yep. That's, and those are the ones that you got to look out for. Yeah. Like the, well, not even look out for. I mean, obviously 
you can't look out for the yeah. for the Zodiac killer. But the people that are not afraid to die, right? Like they don't give two shits. No. No. So they turned it into the FBI and the FBI confirmed that it was correct. But they did say, like I mentioned at the end when I was reading it, is the very end doesn't flow quite right yet. But maybe someone can figure out how it's supposed to read. Hmm. So they may have missed a few characters or misinterpreted something in this 340K cipher. But in the big picture, they've... They figured out a huge significant part of this, even if it doesn't read right, and confirmed through things that he talks about, kind of like when we talk about the Zodiac Killer, there are things that they talk about that makes it viable and that it was really from him. Hmm. That's really cool that they yeah. deciphered it. I mean, how long did it take? Um, It didn't say how long it took, but it was Oh, a no, group. I mean, from like when he sent those in to like, we have finally deciphered it now. Yeah. Yeah. It was 51 years. 51 years. Yeah. 51 year old mm-hmm. mystery. Yes. And still a mystery because we don't know who it is. Yeah. Well, I, and well, we got to do an episode on the Zodiac mm-hmm. Killer because mm-hmm. there was one part that I was reading somewhere about where they had him. Like they, the police had. The police had passed him right on on a on a street, like they could have had him right right there, um, just from the evidence and everything that had been building up. But yeah, they were within feet of him walking past him. So you know we've been um, totally encapsulated in Jeffrey Dahmer, yeah. and I kept meaning to tell this to you guys last night. Is one of his victims, and this I mean. This isn't a spoil alert for anybody, but the Erol Lindsay, mm-hmm. um, the one where his sister testified and well, we have not gotten to that episode, but his sister testifies is actually from my hometown mm. and it was a really big deal. Although when he was caught, I don't remember much from it cause I was very young, but yeah. yeah, I didn't know that until recently that he was from my hometown and the family still lives there. And she's the one that's in the media right now that is talking about how traumatic this is and to how this out there yeah right as a glorifying him well and you know as a ploy to make money and she said it would be different if some of the funds that they were receiving were going towards victims families not even or mental health exactly but this is all being done to make money exactly make yeah. money and and sensationalize it, I think, a little bit. But it's excellent. And Yeah, I mean, it. if you guys haven't watched Dahmer on Netflix yet, and we're not trying to get sponsored or anything by Netflix. I mean, if Netflix but... wants to sponsor us, that would be awesome. <laughs> <Right>. But, <laughs> but uh, it is, is very interesting just to get into the mind of a killer. Mm-hmm. And just to see what pushed him over the edge. Because I think everybody hears the stories about what he did, did, but what I didn't realize until this documentary came out is that they got the information straight from Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, he laid it out for them. Yeah, he he sat down with the uh, the investigators and waived his right for an attorney mm-hmm. and said, "It's okay, we'll talk about it." Yeah, you know, yeah, in his little Wisconsin accent. Don't you know? Yeah. But anyway, let's get to our topic because I'm yes. really excited about this I know this you one. are. Uh, this is episode 35, The Dyatlov Pass. And if you guys have not heard of it, I'll kind of give you a, a quick overview of it. In 1959, a group was formed for a skiing expedition across the northern Urals in Sverdlov. And this is going to be horrible because it's all Russian mm-hmm. names and stuff. It was in the, the Soviet Union in Ural. So we're talking near the Arctic Circle, uh, very high altitudes. And according to uh, documents that were found in the tent of the expedition, suggest that the expedition was named for the 21st Congress of the Communi- Communist Party of the Soviet Union and was dispatched by the local... Cosmo, Cosmonal 
organization. Uh, Igor Dyatlov, which is why this is dubbed the Dyatlov Pass. Uh, 23-year-old radio engineering student at the Ural Polytechnical Institute was the leader who assembled a group of nine others for the trip, most of whom were fellow students and peers at the university. So these, this group had coalesced together because they had great chemistry together. They loved going outdoors, doing the skiing, the expeditioning, pushing themselves to try to be survivalists. And better. Uh, and yeah. better, mm -hmm. yeah. And the initial group consisted of eight women and two men. Nope, backwards. We have to get on, we have to get on, we have so much time and so little to do. Strike that. Reverse it. This way, please. Oh, sorry, yeah. Eight <laughs> men and two women. But as noted below, one member started the hike, but later turned back due to health issues. And each member of the group was an experienced grade two hiker with ski tour experience and would be receiving grade three certification upon their return. Yeah. And in Russia at that time, grade three, that's the highest you can go. Yes. Yes. That's, you've, you've hit the, the peak. Yep. So to speak. And compete, completing this journey. Yeah. would be give them that grade three level that they needed. They were all seeking. Mm -hmm. So the the highest certification of that was that was available. It required the candidates to traverse 190 miles. Yes, that's crazy. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't Fuck traverse no. 190 miles in 60 degree weather, let alone below zero. Right. <laughs> I mean, we live we live how far from Columbia? 30 miles. Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. To walk there? Uh-uh. No, yeah, that'd be you. like me walking to work every day. Right. No, absolutely not. The route was designed by Dyatlov's group to reach the far northern regions of Sverdlovsk Oblast and the upper streams of Lozva River. The route was approved by the City Route Commission, and this was a division of the Committee of Physical Culture and Sports, and they confirmed the group of 10 people on January 8, 1959. The goal of the expedition was to reach Otorten, a mountain 6.2 miles north of the site where the incident occurred of the Dyatlov Pass. This route, estimated as a Category 3, was undertaken in February, the most difficult time to traverse. Mm -hmm. Because we're talking February in the, the 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 mountains of Russia. Yes. And and by the way, you might as well be in the North Pole. Right. Basically, it's sub-zero temperatures. This is nothing to fuck around with if you are a novice. Right. I read somewhere it was like negative, like negative thirty degrees Fahrenheit there. Yeah. During that time, I can't imagine. Just being that cold. That's boogers freezing. That's like everything freezing. How are your eyeballs still moist at that point, right? Like, right. And the altitude, too. Right. So your you oxygen. you have to get used to. Right. And so you have some of that altitude sickness where you're climbing and you're having difficulty breathing, carrying all this stuff, plus dealing with the frozen temperatures. I can't imagine. No, thank you. Yeah, absolutely not. That's why I moved to South Carolina. That's what I was just going to say. That's why we moved to the South. <laughs> now, the the interesting part about this uh, expedition was, like I said, they were trying to reach Otorten. Right. And the translation for Otorten in Russian is, don't go there. Yes. Uh, sorry. I If you told me that we were going to go on an expedition... And you, and it's oh yeah we're going to uh, don't go there right not we may have vodka up here yeah you know no it's, <laughs> not that. it's right. don't go there right right um, so that I mean just it's crazy that they were going to try to accomplish that on a place that was labeled that um, on twenty third of January nineteen fifty nine the Dyatlov group was issued their route book which listed their, course, uh, listed their courses as a following the number five trail going up through there, the pass. And I'm just going to go down the names of the people um, that went on the trip here. Um, obviously, Igor Dyatlov, um, he was 
23. Uh, Yuri Doshenko. And I want to butcher these. Uh, Lyudmila Dubinina. Yuri Krivoshenko. Uh, Alexander Kalevatov. Zenaida Komogorova. Rustem Slobodin. Nikolai. And that's a French kind of background name, but he was Russian. His family was actually from France, I think, and then they moved to Russia. Uh, but Nikolai Thibodeau Brignoles, um, Semyon Zolotarov, and Yuri Yudin. And Semyon um, was the oldest. He was 38. And then you have the rest uh, of the participants are in their very early 20s. Yeah, I mean, their range goes from like 20, 23, 24... They're, yeah. they're all in their, their 20s. They're, they're in school. Right. And not only were these people, um, not only were these people, you know, adventurous and, and, you know, being physical and that kind of stuff, they had the mind too. I mean, right. a couple of them were going for engineering and crazy different things like, you know, right. um, that normal people wouldn't be going forward like physicists and that kind of stuff right they were all very very smart yeah yes so the thing about uh Semyon was he actually i think it was he got with igor uh diatlov on another expedition i believe that is true too and i think that's how he got tied in with this group because he wanted to go with them on this one right and uh the group was very tight-knit like i said before and they didn't want Simeon uh in the beginning um from what i had seen they had they had their group they they didn't want another outsider but he fit in so well with them right after meeting and you know the 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 group was very lively right i mean do you have anything on them at uh, all or um because i feel like he was brought in because there was a history between him and Dyatlov, and he may have, and I'm, you know, I can never find it when I That's need fine. it. No, I mean, I'll keep yeah. going. I'll keep looking for it. So the group arrived by train uh, in Ivdel, uh, a town at the center of the northern province of Oblast, in the early morning hours of January 25th, 1959. And then they took a truck. So there's a whole bunch of different traveling points to be able to actually get to where they were going to start. Correct. And um, Vizai was a village that is the last inhabited settlement settlement to the north. While spending the night in, in Vizai, uh, the skiers purchased and ate loaves of bread to keep their energy levels up for the day, following day's hike. Yep. And on t- the 27th of January, they began their trek towards or Torton. And on January 28th, one member, Yuri Yudin, who had several health ailments, including rheumatism and um, congenital heart defect. He turned back due to his knee and joint pain that had made it unable for him to continue the hike. And the remaining uh, eight hikers continued the trek, or the nine, sorry. Right. So we have one that turned back, and, you know, it just wasn't going to work out for him. And unexpectedly, and we, you know, we'll start getting into the weird part. Um, oh, yeah. That saved his life. Yes, it did. <laughs> yes, it did. Yes, it did. So real quick, um, Semyon, he, the reason why he was involved, because he was an instructor for the Korakova or Korovka tour base. Korovka. Yes, tour base. So that's um, why he was there because he did tours and traversed the mountain passes and stuff like that. And he was basically there almost as a guide to get them through this pass. In America, you hike mountain in Russia, mountain hike you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, the 31st of January, the group arrived at the edge of the Highland area and began to prepare climbing. In a wooden uh, valley, wooded valley, sorry, they cached uh, surplus food and equipment that would be used for the trip back. Uh, the next day, the hikers started to move through the pass. 
it seems they plan to go over the pass and make camp for the next night on the opposite side. But because of worsening weather conditions, snowstorms, and decreasing, decreasing visibility, they lost their direction and deviated west towards the top of Cycle, I think it is. Colot Cycle. Uh, when they realized their mistake, the group decided to set up camp there on the slope of the mountain rather than move one mile downhill to a forested area that would have offered some shelter from the weather. Dyatlov probably did not want to lose altitude they gained, or he decided to practice camping on the mountain slope. So there's, and we'll pause on that one right there because it's, it, you're not supposed to camp on the slope. From what I've been reading on all this and all the, the, the people that are experienced, you'd never do that. Because you are at risk um, you're more out in the open, right? And you're at risk for landslides or avalanches. And um, the temperatures are colder because there's nothing to break the wind. The, that, that wind is just cutting down mm -hmm. that mountain. Yep. Yep. And what was this slope that they were staying on called? Uh, is this the one? I mean, this is where they're camping. Yeah. it's it, They were heading towards the top of Kolat Cycle. Cycle. Uh, that's the... On the pass, that's where they were at. But I get it. You know, you're going for your your Cat Three. Yeah. And you need to have that experience of doing that on the slope. Not a very good move, I don't think, with mm -mm. snowstorms and decreasing visibility coming through. But that's what they did. So before leaving, Dyatlov had agreed he would send a telegram to their sports club as soon as they returned to Vizai. It was expected that this would happen no later than the 12th of February, but Dyatlov had told Yudin before he departed the group that he expected it to be longer. When the, you know, obviously they're going to run into shit, they're going right. to run into problems. <clears throat> so these people are out there in sub zero temperatures for two weeks. Mm -hmm. Fuck that. Um, I don't know how you ever get warm again after being out there like that. Some of them had to be missing some digits. From doing these expeditions. You would think, like yeah. somebody had to be missing a toe. Right. From, from... Frostbite. Thank you, from frostbite. But, anyway, um, when the 12th, February 12th had passed and no messages had been received, there was no immediate reaction as delays, obviously, were common. And on the 20th of February, the travelers' relatives demanded a rescue operation and the head of the institute sent the first rescue groups consisting of volunteer students and teachers. Later, the army and police forces became involved with planes and helicopters ordered to join the operation. So they were very concerned because right. they, they didn't get that telegram Telegram in. Where the fuck are they? Right. You know, a few days, sure, get it. But mm, now we're going into almost three weeks. Right, right. And we haven't heard from anybody. So on the 26th of February, um, oh, when did they leave again? January what? The 20, no, uh, on. Well, they arrived 31st at. 31st of January. Right. And they arrived at the Ural Mountains on February 1st. Yes. So almost, almost a month. Right. On February 26th, the searchers found the group of abandoned and badly damaged tents on the Kolot's uh, cycle, uh, cycle, the campsite baffled the search party. The students who found the tent said the tent was half torn down and covered with snow. It was empty, and all of the group's belongings and shoes had been left behind. The investigators said the tent had been cut open from the, the inside. inside. Nine sets of footprints left by people wearing only socks or a single shoe or even barefoot, could be followed leading down the edge of a nearby woods on the opposite side of the pass, one mile to the northeast. After 1,600 feet, these tracks were covered with snow, and at the forest edge, under a large Siberian pine, the searchers found the visible remains of a small fire. And there were, there were the first two bodies. Yep. So, let's pause on that. So they, how, like, they ripped open their tents 
from the inside. From the inside to get the fuck away from something. Something right. spooked them. Right. Right. And these are tenured people. And they left with no clothes. You said negative 30 yeah. kind of weather mm-hmm. conditions. Why would they do that? They know. I mean, they're not novices. They know what they're about to walk out there of. Is some, there is some kind of panic going mm-hmm. on. And again, at this point, we've only found two bodies. Two bodies so far. And it's mysterious with those two because it was uh, Krivoshenko and Doroshenko. They were shoeless and dressed only in underwear. And the branches on the tree that they found them near were broken up to five meters high. Suggesting that one of the skiers had maybe climbed up it to look for the campsite again. Maybe they were lost because they were a mile away. Uh, Or just even get their bearings of, of... where the hell they are. Right. Or were they trying to climb it because something was coming after them? Correct. Well, and they were also saying that it's likely that they climbed the tree to get wood. Oh, to yeah. And that's part. why the, the one's hands were like very torn up is because that's what they... Either from climbing the tree or, you know, for whatever reason, but also trying to get down pieces of wood to keep them warm and just the the bitter cold well yeah i mean they didn't have any gloves or anything yeah they were so your hands are completely freezing and then you're going to try to start pulling on branches and stuff you're going to rip your hands up right right so the they found the first two bodies and um between that pine and the camp the searchers found three more it was dayatlov uh Kamagorova, Gorov, Gorova, and uh, Slobodin. And they died in poses suggesting that they were attempting to return back to the campsite. Like they were heading in that direction again. Right. Unfortunately, they didn't make it. They were found at distances of 980 feet, so close. Right. 1,500 feet and 2,000 feet from the tree back to the tent. And it's crazy because they weren't very far from each other. So one fell out and then, you know, you had two more able to make it just a little further. One fell out and then another one fell out. And then it's it. And they uh, had taken clothes off of the dead people. Right. People that fell over and collapsed, they were collecting their clothes and putting them on and wrapping right. themselves. Right. Um, and these ones all died. <clears throat> Within six to eight hours of having their last meal. That's how... And that's long. Right. I mean, for being out in sub-zero temperatures. Oh, yes. Yes. It's it's mind-boggling. Finding the remaining four travelers took more than two months. Yes. They started running into a lot of really bad weather up there on the mountain. Uh, They... Packed it up. They said, well, there's no way we're going to be able to find them. We're going to have to wait for better conditions. Which is why they found them in, what was it? May. May. Yeah. Yes. May 4th. Uh, they finally they were finally found on May 4th under 13 feet of snow in a ravine 246 feet further into the woods past the pine that they found yeah. the first two bodies. Three of the four were better dressed than others. And there were signs, that, like I was talking about, that some of the clothing, uh, those who had died first, had been removed for use by the others. Yep. Uh, Dubanina was wearing Krishna Ka- Kr- Krivoshenko's burned, torn trousers. And her left foot and shin were wrapped in a torn jacket. Uh, the illegal inquest started immediately after the first five bodies were found. A medical examination found no injuries that might have led to their death, and it was concluded that they had all died from hypothermia. Yep. But that was that was the, the report. Right. And that was just the first initial ones that were found. <clears throat> yep. Because they still have the supposed cause of death for um, many of them as hypothermia. But Dubanina... Her cause of death is internal bleeding from severe chest trauma. Um, our French guy, Nikolai. Yep. 
or Thibault. Thibault. Fatal skull injury. And Semyon, our 38-year-old, severe chest trauma. And with that the chest trauma, uh, the coroner or whoever was examining the bodies said this is very... Um, this is equal to somebody being in a car crash. That is correct. Yep. But there was no bruising on the outside of the body. Right. It was all internal. But the, the same thing with that, too, is urine below freezing temperature so you can have trauma without the bruising just because of how the you know the inflammation and the blood vessels are smaller because they're colder so you don't get that bursting effect that you get or how bruises are caused so now on one of the bodies there was pooling of, of the blood. Yes, on the, yes, from but laying. when they found it, the body was turned over. And you could see the bruising on the back from the pulling of the blood. So it was, so they were something moved. Yeah. Or someone moved the body. Right. So we need to talk about the slope for a minute. Because okay. the slope was very, was specifically called, what, Dead Man's Land or... Uh, the translation for it was Dead Mountain. Uh but wasn't there some, well, there's don't go there and then dead mountain. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's where we're at right now is dead mountain. Mm -hmm. And they called it dead mountain because there, nothing could grow there. Obviously it was too cold, um, for people to inhabit it. Plus you didn't have a lot of predators there, animals. Um, and so this kind of comes into play when we're discussing, I can't remember which one. I think there were a couple of them that had their eyes missing. Their eyes were gone. And then another one had their tongue gone. Mm -hmm. um, and people suspect, well, this could have been animals. But if you're in an area that doesn't have a lot of these creatures, animals, or whatever, because it's so hard to survive. If you that, don't have vegetation, you don't have plant eaters. If you don't have plant eaters, you don't have predators. Right, right. And so, but also the ones that were found in May, they were in some kind of like stream or brook or something. Yeah. Um. So I suppose it could have been like some kind of underwater creature that could have, you know, t taken off with the eyes and the tongue and whatnot. But what is moving during this time? Because it's too cold for animals to be out. And this is why we picked this one. Because... You, you go down a rabbit hole trying to explain it, and you're like, oh, yeah, well, what about this? Right. And you're like, well, shit, I don't, I don't know. Well, okay, we can figure that out. Oh, yeah, well, what about this? Right. And it's just been a mystery since 1959. I mean, they, they say that it's hypothermia, but some shit happened, and nobody really knows what went down. Right. And the investigation that was initially done, and even the one in... um there was one done in like 2017 or something like that. Both of them said that this was related to an avalanche. Um, there's one, there's like a slab avalanche that it must, it just must be in the, how it comes. It's not a rumbling. It's just like this, um, like a, a slate top part of it. Oh, okay. That breaks. And then it, that part, on the top just instead slides. of like the tumbling right. down so that's what a lot of them are saying it is you know one of the favorite explanations for it is yeti the yeti the yeti but that motherfucker's smarter than that he he's not sitting up there it's too damn cold for him <laughs> not for him well i mean he ain't got nothing to eat up there why the hell it's would true. he be up there true Maybe that's where he takes his summer vacations. Could be. Could be. <laughs> but, I mean, just to, to kind of recap on it. So, you know, six, they say six of the group members died of hypothermia and three of them with fatal injuries. There were no indications of other people nearby apart from the nine travelers. So right. all they found were the footprints of them. And they did interview the Monsi tribe mm -hmm. to see if they had come up there and basically killed them or whatever, for whatever reason. And it was, again, 
Only those fo- footprints were visible. Yeah. So there was no scuffle right. of fighting and, 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 you know, hand-to-hand combat with, with any of the indigenous tribes right. out there. Uh, the tent had been ripped open from within. The victims had died six to eight hours, like you said. Traces from the camp showed that all group mem- all group members left the campsite on their own accord. Yep. On foot. Some levels of radiation were found on the victims' clothing. Just one, though. Two. Okay. Two. Two of them had radiation. Um, to dispel the theory of the attack, obviously, like you were saying with the Mansi tribe... Um, the three bodies could not have been the the damage to those human beings could not have been caused by a human. Correct. There's no human that is could provide that much force. Right. the The force of the blows had had been too strong. Right. And no soft tissue had been damaged. And release documents contained no information about the condition of the skier's internal organs, and. There was no survivors. Right. And the they did write logs of and that they found the campsite. And, I, and I'm sure if you look up online, they have a whole bunch of different pictures that they were, you know, taking to, to document document and, this expedition. And there are some weird photos. Mm-hmm. There are. You got to check them out. Let's get into the, the theories. So you said avalanche, right? Yep. So... That could be a a good theory, but if it was an avalanche, they wouldn't have found the campsite. Right. Or the footprints. Correct. It was, it was just bad weather. So, can't really pin it down to an avalanche. Right. And even if it was the slab one where that's just that shelf that's moving through, again, you would... The tents were still standing. They were just ripped open. Mm -hmm. And so if that was the case of the slab, everything would still would have been tumbled over and stuff would have been strewn still all down the mountain. It would have taken shit with it. Yeah. It would have taken bodies. It would have buried bodies. Correct. Wouldn't wouldn't have found them just laying there. Right. So I would say avalanche, no. Correct. That's, That's at least from... Do you concur, doctor? I concur. Damn it, I should have concurred. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Again, Yeti, hypothesis. Uh, There was an American uh, skeptic author, uh, Benjamin, what was it? Benjamin Bradford. He suggested, suggested an avalanche as more plausible than a Yeti, but you can't rule out a Yeti. Right. And honestly... I mean, I guess I could rule out a Yeti because you still have nine people and one Yeti. And even though Yetis are big and huge and whatnot, I don't think it, he would have been able to overpower. A, Yeti would have been able to overpower. But it could have been the catalyst for them to freak out. It could have been, yes. And then take off. Right, right. And then he only had to attack three out of the... Eight or nine that were there. Mm-hmm. Then, um, catabotic wind. So those are a rare, it's a very rare event, but it's extremely violent. And there was a case in 1978 where eight hikers were killed during one of these catabatic winds. It would have made it possible to remain in the tent if it was this. And the most rational course of action would have been for the hikers to cover the tent with snow and seek shelter behind the tree line on top of the tent. There was also a torch left turned on, possibly left there initially so that the hikers could find their way back to the tents once the wind subsided. Um, The expedition proposed that the group of hikers constructed two bovac shelters one of which collapsed, leaving the four hikers buried with severe the severe injuries observed. They didn't even have this as a possibility until 2019. Like, this is the first time that they're bringing this up is 2019. So, basically, just... Uh, of measures of how to deal with it. Right. Yeah. 
uh, it's a drainage wind, a wind that carries high density air from a higher elevation downslope under the force of gravity. So they basically, it's like a hurricane that yeah. the winds come down at hurricane force. And it happens a lot in the mountains areas because cold air wants right. to drop. Right. But again, if you're having these heavy winds. You're not going to run out from the tent. No, not necessarily. Absolutely not. And even if you are going to run out of the tent, if you come out of that tent and the winds are hurricane force winds, the campsite's still not going to be there. Yeah, it's going to be gone. Right. I'm going with kind of mass hysteria. So the infrasound. Yes. So I like this one. It's called a Carmen Vortex, um, which creates like an infrasound that is capable of inducing panic attacks in, in humans. So it's kind of like this whistle that... Like, you know how dogs can only hear one kind of frequency. It's kind of like that. It's like this different frequency that makes everybody freak out. Yeah, we we actually did our very first episode with, with Abnormal Matters. We did it on ELFs. Okay. Uh, extremely low frequencies. Okay. And how it affects the human brain. Right. And even though you can't hear it because it's a lower decibel. Right. Uh, just like you're saying with dogs, they can hear the higher decibel than us. But the lower decibel... Even though you can't hear it, it still affects you. So, basically, that's what they're saying is that the wind passed over the top of the mountain and it created uh, mental distress in all of the hikers. And that because of their panic, the hikers were driven to leave the tent by whatever means necessary. Um, But it still doesn't explain to me the very traumatic injuries the last three hikers have. Um, They are saying that those hikers could have suffered those injuries um, because they stumbled over an edge of the ravine and darkness landing on the rocks at the bottom. But I don't know because it seems like those, those three were alive longer than the than the first one so if they just fell off a ravine and hurt themselves they would have died instantly and therefore not had other people's clothes Mm -hmm. so that doesn't really explain it for me yeah it doesn't add up on that and also with the infrasound it was it was a interesting fact that we learned with the elf the infrasound i forget what it is what decibel it is but it's like 18 point well whatever right on the decibel it makes the eyes shake, which causes you to see things. Yeah. Like out of the corner of your eye and right. stuff. Your peripheral, you, you think you see shit. Right. And if if the, the infrasound is, is hitting at that low decibel, shaking your eyes, and you're doing and it's also affecting the hammer in your right. ear. Right. You're hearing shit and you're seeing shit. And it could be a mass hysteria at that point. Right. But once you get out of the infrasound area, like a mile away from where they, you know, like where they found the people, you could gather your, you know, gather yourself again because you're not being affected by the infrasound. Right. And. Unless, of course, aliens. Well, yeah. I mean, we could attest this all to because one, there's no footprints. right? Right. But we're going to add a Yeti in there. Right. right. So a flying Yeti. Okay, sure. Yeah. Being, you know, Ubered by a UFO. Yeah. And they're hitting them with a whole bunch of infrasound. Yep. And helping out the military with And it explains testing. the radiation. So. Yeah. Flying saucer Yeti. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Solved. Done. Done. <laughs> but yeah, the last one is military t- tests, which could explain the radiation. I got a good one on this. Do you? Mm-hmm. So I watch Expedition Unknown. I know we've talked about this before. Um, and I told you that I watched the episodes relating to this. And they did test some of the trees there. Because you know how you can core a tree and it will, you know, at certain levels of the coring, it will have past details such as whether or not there was radiation in the trees. They did not find radiation in the trees that they had cored out there. But like you stated before, there were two people that had radiation on them. Mm-hmm. So is the radiation just a possible 
cause of this because two people had high levels of radiation on them. Maybe they brought it back from some kind of testing they were doing before. Bingo. The two that were found with the radiation, they were students and they were working on nuclear projects. So they could have been wearing the, that material, like the, the coat, and that and that and you know went into the labs, and that radiation had soaked into their their clothes. So yeah, there it was. Uh, it was actually documented that those two were specifically working on physics and nuclear stuff, nuclear right. technology at right. that time. So it explains it. Mm-hmm. It fully explains Debunked. why they have radiation on them. Yeah. Um. But again. You know, they say military testing. I don't know what they could have been doing there. But there are these pictures that they have discovered off of their cameras that are just kind of inexplainable to me. Some of them look like they're taking pictures of stuff in flight. So the Unidentified flying objects. Right, right. And there's this... um there's a website called dayoutlovepass.com that has all of this information on it. So the pictures in question are very grainy, not well at all, but they are suspicious in what is captured on them. But two, all of the other pictures that were taken during this time were perfect and de- developed well. So it's not, it's not like there was something wrong with the camera or anything like that. So I, believe that they maybe did see something there and they captured maybe a UFO or some kind of paranormal activity or maybe even military activity. Yeah. Well, the, the mil- they did have the campsite fell in one speculation, the campsite fell within the path of a Soviet parachute mine exercise. So they could have had some kind of, military experiments and that kind of stuff that they were doing up there right up on the mountain um who which the theory alleges that the hikers woken by a loud explosion fled the tent in shoeless panic and found themselves unable to return to for you know supplies and right. clothes and shit but yeah they uh they think that possibly some of the mines went off and they got spooked because they were hearing explosions and they figured that an avalanche was coming and they just vamoosed out of the tents. Well, yes, likely. Again, all of these theories are just, they're spitballing. You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So there is this one picture from a scrap of film and you can kind of see what looks to be people around a fire but again it's very grainy and somebody um must have zoomed in on it and cleaned it up and made a 3d model and what she it was able to determine is it shows people around a fire and one of them carrying a military style gun like a very long like rifle Mm -hmm. um the Kalishnikov. So, yes, yes. So that, <laughs> my wife hard. asked me, "How many times are you going to do the Russian accent in this one?" I was like, <laughs> the entire time, I said, maybe six or seven. I'm <laughs> 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 uh, surprised Alex is not out here saying you got it all wrong. Your accent sucks. <laughs> let me let me tell you. Even though Ukrainian and Russia are very different, but you know. And it does look like that they got pictures of an airplane in the sky. So maybe it, there is some military stuff going on up there. Right. Right. That and they could have even it. been pay- playing with the those sounds and seeing how they would react. There's no way in my mind that the military would not have known that this expedition was going on. Considering you have to go through so many hoops to go on an expedition like this, especially when you're trying to achieve that level three hiking. So this could have just been a social experiment for the army or the military. Yeah. You know, and let's see what happens. Hence why all the records and stuff were locked up and sealed regarding that investigation. Oh, there's a definite cover up, I think, with this. You know, they didn't want, and we're talking about the 1960, 
Correct. Where, you know, it was very tight sealed on anything that the military was doing. Right. In Russia. Right. Uh, you know, they were getting ready to ramp up with uh, the space uh, the space race against the U.S. Correct. And they could have been experimenting up there. Who knows? And, yeah, they probably knew that these guys, these people were out there. Right. Uh, they had to get all these certifications and approvals and everything. Right. And they had to get their, you know, like their little map or whatever, whatever you called it earlier. Yeah. And we're, and we're talking about Mother Russia. You know, like they... Yeah. Had a, a tight fist on everybody. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That live in Russia. 100%. Paradoxical undressing. Yes. How? Okay. Yes. I don't think that's what happened. I don't think so either. But it was in there. So what paradoxical undressing is basically when you get super cold, when you're you're already in hypothermia, your body starts to feel like it's heating up and therefore you start undressing, mm-hmm. which is the wor- mm-hmm. obviously the worst thing to do. I don't think that was the case because when they came out of, they're not all suffering from hypothermia at the same time. They're in tents, they're in sleeping bags. Um, granted, they don't sleep in full dress. You know, they strip down to their, they don't sleep in their boots and all of that stuff. So that explains why some of them don't have full clothing on because you're not sleeping in everything. And you want your stuff to kind of like lay out and dry out and stuff like that. And so I, I just don't think that's what happened here. I don't think so either, especially because some of them that were found were stealing clothes from the dead ones. Right. Exactly. Like they knew that they had to get stuff on them. Right. And, and keep warm no yeah. matter what. And if that was the case too, all of the, like even the last people would have been found undressed. Right. They, they had enough mind to add layers to themselves. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. But then the other big one, and we kind of touched on it a little bit, was uh, the Mansi tribe. Uh, the They were local tribesmen, and they were known to be peaceful. Yes. Uh, they were hunters. That's They just lived off the land. Yeah. Weren't uh, they like goat herders or something like goat that? Goat herders, and um, they, they liked to trip their balls off. They would do... I forget what it is. I forget which mushroom it is or something right. like that in the wild. But they would, they drink goat piss to trip. Because, because the goats eat the mushrooms? The goats eat the mushrooms, but there's a, a, a side effect to these mushrooms. So they feed them to the goats. The goats pee out, out. And they, they basically, they're using the goats as a filter to not get sick. Uh. And they want, they, they drink the goat piss uh. to, to trip their nuts off. Oh my God. But... You know, they, again, there was no evidence of anybody approaching the tents. Right. There was no scuffles. There was no, any, any footprints like that, that could lead to the Mansi tribe. Right. Even the the Mansi tribe went out to help them. Yes, they did. To try to find them. Yes. And we're not talking about the, the town where the Mansi people are. It was not very close to where the campsite was so it's not very likely that these people in the middle of the night are going to go sneak up there when it's cold as shit outside and they don't want to die they don't want to get hypothermia for a couple of 10 hikers right and to clear the hikers let's talk about that it wasn't uh a big coup against each other like they weren't fighting and Right. One hated the other or anything, you know, anything of that nature happened. By all indications, the group was largely harmonious. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was flirtation and crushes and that kind of stuff. Yeah, but... because the the ones were dating and he, when he was found, he was holding a picture of one of the, the, one of the ladies. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have to think, when you are traveling all day long... Cold weather, again, you can't breathe, so when your oxygen levels come down, you're naturally kind of lethargic. They were probably way too fucking tired to even fight and argue with anybody. Right. Let's just get some sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Let's warm up and get some sleep. Dyatlov was very adamant about no drugs, no alcohol. They only had a small flask, and it was for medicine. Right. Like if they needed to clean a wound or something like that, they had a high proof alcohol to be able to clean the wound. Vodka, duh. That's right. Duh. 
the group had even sworn off cigarettes for the expedition. You know, furthermore, a fight could not have left the massive injuries that any of these no. bodies had suffered. No. So, I mean, out of all the theories, the closest one that I would have to go to would be the infrasound. M- you, me too. Yeah. I mean, it was just a, an hysteria at a moment and it got them. And when they try to get their wits about themselves, they didn't know where they were because it was snowing. It was bad, you know, visibility. You're freezing. You're You're freezing. Yeah. Your limbs and joints are starting to freeze up and yeah. But who knows? Right. Right. Still a mystery. It is. It is still a mystery. And, but people still go up there. To don't go there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They still go to don't go there. Makes no damn sense. There's the, I don't know, what is it? One of the other, like Mount Fiji or one of them. That's. Like the Mount Everest. Mount Everest. That's what I'm thinking. Mount Everest where they don't ever even go and get the bodies. They just leave them up there. Yep. And they're more, they're like trail markers now. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, they leave the they leave the bodies there because it it's too much. Yeah, to no, try to exactly bring them back down. Mm-hmm. And then people still want to go hiking. He's like, "Oh yeah, there's Bob. He's been there for thirty years. That's how we know we're in the right spot." Like, no, right. <laughs> no, <laughs> Bob's. What do I need to go up there for? Right, Bob's dead arm is still stuck out of the gra- ground, just pointing. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Yeah, what? Why do I need to go out there to see snow? I can see snow, see the snow down here. Right, it's fine. Right, cool. And I don't need to climb all that. Take picture. Cold and not have good food. Like no, no. I'm a thrill seeker, but I'm not that type of thrill seeker. I'm like a ghost hunting thrill seeker, and that's about it. Like I won't do roller coasters. I don't like roller coasters at all. Bug killing is about as exciting as it gets for me right now. Uh, I have severe arachnophobia for everybody. Me too. Me too. Like, I I won't even kill them. Like, I just need to get away from them. I, either I'll set it on fire or I run. I have to vacuum up stuff. Like, I will, I have long stick hose. Yeah. <laughs> Turn it on, suck it up, leave the vacuum cleaner on for a second to make sure it gets spun around real good so I know that it's done. Because... William won't kill spiders for me, and Olivia's just as scared of spiders as I am. Coleman and Dad, I will. They'll kill spiders for me. Any other bugs, I'll deal with. But no spiders. Yeah, no, I can't do. I don't like any bugs. (laughs) But we are getting to our hour mark. Yep. So, in a nutshell, with this, with the Diotlov Pass, it's super interesting. You guys should check out, what was the website? Diotlovepass.com, and that's D-Y-A-T-L-O-V. Yeah. It's very interesting to to see the pictures, to see the, the writings from their logs, and just... Autopsy reports. All of it. It's... it's And it's... It's a sad story. You know, the, the, these people had so much potential. Right. Uh, you know, they were going to do great things in the world, and unfortunately, the... Don't go there. Got them. Yeah. <laughs> they got gut. <laughs> if you only had to listen one time, it should have been that time. Just like... And that guy, man, he lucked out. With yeah, the rheum- he did. With, with the rheumatoid arthritis. Or... Yeah. Yep. He's like, not today. I don't know why. You're a Uden. Yeah. Why you would even agree to go on a sh- trip like that if you knew you had all those ailments it's almost like psych yeah but he had gone on other expeditions with them oh okay and this time it was just a flare-up you know with uh the the rheumatoid arthritis i'm sure the cold did not help with that cold would not help with that yeah why don't you go hiking in the tropics like in the rainforest that might help you that would be one well nobody wants to hike in the tropics you just want to lay on the beach. You ever seen that Naked and Afraid? Well, I've seen all of them, but I don't yeah. know which one. No, I mean, just yeah. not even one in specific. Yeah. Yeah, they just drop them in 
like a rainforest and yes. all the bugs. And they always zoom in on the spiders. Yeah. Always and, zoom and in the on snakes. the snakes. Yeah. Or they get like South America and they have to kill the giant tarantulas. No, 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 no. No, no, thank you. Roasting them on the road. Uh, Mike thinks it's hilarious because I'm always like, I can't even watch. (laughs) But hey, we're going to wrap it up, guys. We appreciate you listening. Yes, thank you. And happy Halloween. It's coming up next week. Yeah, stay tuned for our next one. We're going to dig in some more odd and strange you can reach us at the abnormal abnormal matters podcast at gmail.com that's our email and then you can check us out on facebook too the abnormal matters podcast yep uh let us know what you think if you have any uh that you think is interesting on the bizarre odd and strange that you want us to check out we'll dig into it and once again we appreciate you guys listening And have a good, safe, happy Halloween. Yep.